Hello, today I have the pleasure of being joined by Matt Nelson, and he is from Wisconsin, or excuse me, lives in Wisconsin, actually from California originally. He is a senior tracker, which is the highest level of designation you can get from Cyber Tracker North America. And he is a track and sign specialist, um, as well as a trailing specialist. So thank you very much for your time and welcome, Matt. Thank you, Lee. Um, happy to be here, happy to be doing this. And uh, I, I just wanna say that I, I was perusing your um, naturalist studies website and uh, I like what I see and I like the work that I see that you're doing in the world. So I appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's, um, it's a long story how it came about, which we don't have time to go into today. But uh, I, I started out, spent a lot of my time mostly teaching at universities. And, and honestly, just from learning from people like yourself, and, um, you know, it's a good way for us to start off. You know, I attended one of your workshops last year on trailing. It was just incredible. And um, today, I think we'll probably mostly talk about track and sign. But you have such a well-rounded skill set. Um, that, you know, I wanted to take those on, those skills on and, you know, the university students I deal with and make sure that that gets passed on to them and, you know, because they need it for, you know, their field skills, um, you know, as biologists, which unfortunately is lacking in a lot of cases today. And a lot of them, you know, are going to hopefully continue the journey and, and end up doing work with people like yourself. So anyway, thanks for that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? You know, where you grew up, how'd you get into all this? Because again, I, I think for people who haven't done this before, as I tell my students, this is a rigorous undertaking of uh, becoming a specialist uh, with Cyber Tracker. It's not something you do overnight. And so everybody has a different path getting there, but curious what yours was like. Yeah, great. Uh, mine, I suppose, was fairly organic. Um, and I and I will put a little emphasis on that the rigorousness of of getting a special certificate. Uh, you know, we we jokingly liken it to a PhD in wildlife tracking, right? It's 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 there's a lot of depth, a lot of background, a lot of broad uh, knowing there. And uh, to, for someone to get their special certificate, it's it's no easy process. It takes dedication and um, and a lot of time. And, and I can attest that is a true statement. It really is close to a PhD. I mean, you know, I mean, I have to do a dissertation per se, but the amount of work that goes into it is just unbelievable. <laughs> it's funny. I, I have students, you know, saying they'll complain, you know, they're taking a tracking test or something. This is online and, you know, there's not a perfect, you know, print that they're looking at trying to ID. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, when you're out in the field, uh, that's, that's a real world. Right. And these are actually pretty easy tracks, you know, so uh, when you're a specialist, it's an amazing skill and shows incredible body of work. So what sure. led you up to that? Did you, you know, growing up like in California, did you, you know, come from a family of, you know, was outside a lot and emphasized naturalist skills or how'd you get into it? Yeah, great. So I, I grew up in northern coastal, northern California, the Redwood Coastal Mountains mainly. And uh, we moved around some, but but that general area, um, uh, Western Sonoma, Southern Mendocino counties. And uh, uh, since I was a very young child, all I wanted to do was to be a hunter, to be, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I sort of, I fantasized about hunting and I, and I, I read a lot about 
wildlife and animals. And I had all these books on Africa as a, as a kid, that's how I spent my time. And, um, when, when, when I was 13 years old, my parents moved us to a, a super rural place on a, on one of the salmon and steelhead running rivers up there on the North coast. And they ran a YMCA summer camp. Oh, wow. And so here we were plopped in the middle of 500 acres surrounded by, um, uh, logging company land, really hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of acres of open land. And right out my back door, I had wild pigs. And it was like dropping into heaven for me. We, we had moved from a, a town out here to this rural uh, place where there was tons of wildlife. Right out my back door, uh, we went down and, and I tried fishing the first day. And I landed like this 36 inch, um, 15 pound, just chrome steelhead, you know, wow. I was hooked. The, <laughs> the fish was hooked, but, but I was hooked as well. And, uh, and thus began, well, I'll back up just a little bit. Um, I also had a, a mentor when I was younger who, who took me hunting, squirrel hunting and deer hunting. And, uh, so I had some background already. But but at this point, when we moved up there into the woods, uh, yeah, that was it. That was all that I did. And, and I spent all my time on the river, spent all my time up in the hills. Um, I got a, a a dog, you know, that palled around with me and we chased pigs around and and deer. And uh, yeah, it was it was on some level pretty idyllic as far as my perspective goes. You know, it was it was paradise on earth. And uh, and I and I quickly became a hog hunter, you know, like a, a serious hog hunter. And and I say that uh, with a bit of a smile because I was obsessed. And I hunted. We need you to move. We need you to move down to Texas. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> We're overrun yeah. with these guys. <laughs> yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah, I I hear a lot about the Texas hog problem. Yeah, yeah, uh, which could be another podcast. Uh, I have I have perspectives about that too. <laughs> I would love to hear that. We'll I'll pencil that in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, that was what I lived and breathed hunting and and fishing, mainly hog hunting. And you know, I'd kill um, in high school. I was killing, you know, fifty, sixty hogs a year, uh, wow. just all the time. You know, I didn't play sports. I. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of extracurricular activities because I wanted to be home and hunting and, you know, playing in the woods. So, yeah, it was it was the kind of upbringing I think that a lot of kids don't get the opportunity to have these days. Uh, my parents were really cool in that they gave me all the freedom that I needed. They, you know, they bought me guns and said, go go out and play. And, and, and I did. And uh, one thing that I did early on was I found mentors. I found older men in the area who had grown up there, you know, and hunted hogs all these years and, and knew all the places and, um, and had grown up out on these old homesteads that I now hunted on. And, and so I, I picked certain mentors in the community to, to spend time with and, and learn from. And, uh, it was it was pretty cool. There was one guy in particular who 
whose father was a sheep rancher, and he would send me out looking for things on the landscape. Like up there in the mountains, there's all these old homesteads, and, and the cabins are mostly all gone, fall, but there's fruit trees, and there's springs, and there's, um, you know, things you can find. And so he would send me looking for this old cabin or that old truck that had been driven off the bank, you know, in the 50s. And, and so that sort of gave me this mission to go out and I would grab my dog and my gun and we'd go out looking for this, this old split makers cabin, for instance, you know, and, and in the meantime, we'd hunt and, um, and these old Italian men who, who started me off real young picking wild mushrooms. Uh, they, 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 they call, they call them, um, you know, the porcini and the, yeah, yeah. Which, which are known as the bleats and the cream tops or the cocoras and uh, the chanterelles and all these. Anyway, uh, so at a young age, I, I was mentored in natural living, hunting, gathering by a, a number of folks and um, as, as well as some of the local native Pomo people who were uh, who are long dead now, but they were um, dear friends and mentors of mine as well. So that's sort of how I got into all this. And, and I, and I knew of tracking, but I hunted with, with a dog. So I didn't really need to be a tracker per se. Uh, and then one time, one of these mentors and I was out and we looked, we were looking, we were hunting and, and we looked at this pig track and he showed me uh, in this pig track, there was a crack, like in the, uh, in the edge of the hoof there was a crack and a, and a clear line that you could see repeated. And he pointed that out and he said, this hog, you can, you can recognize by its track. And that just really kind of blew my mind. Uh, I, I got to thinking about identifying individuals and, and what that might mean, you know, and, and then, um, and that was sort of one of my first big, uh, tracking sort of uh doorways i suppose um years go by and and i was a hunter and i went in the military and i i hitchhiked around the country you know i i did all this sort of um, coming of age kind of things and i wound up out in wisconsin at the teaching drum outdoor school which is a a, a school where you can go live a full year immersion um, building your own huts making buckskin clothing, you know, gathering a, a, a percentage of your, your food. And, and so I joined into that year long program. And to me, it was sort of like coming back to that aspect of my childhood that I had kind of walked away from in, in, um, in the, in the, in the confusion and anger of my young adulthood, say, you know, um, and, um, and all of a sudden, here I was on the landscape again, just immersed in nature. Uh, and then, and so then I, 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 I had also found about the Tom Brown um, lineage and the John Young stuff and um, these other schools. And I had bounced around and went to some of them as well and, and taken tracking courses with, uh, you know, the, the, the border patrol guys and, and I had sort of touched into all these things and none of them really captured me. Um, 
so in the meantime, I'm in Wisconsin. I've been living out in the woods a lot. And my buddy comes to me and says, hey, the International Society of Professional Trackers is going to have a conference here in Wisconsin this year. And there's going to be one of these cyber tracker evaluations. And that's the first I, I had heard of it. And at this point, I was, I was uh, a little bit frustrated because my teachers couldn't help me get past this wall where I was stuck. Uh, I, I, I'm not a big book learning type. And so for me to go to the books and sort out whose tracks I'm looking at by measuring and all this stuff uh, wasn't going to work well for me. It didn't. And I didn't want to go be evaluated. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, but my buddy talked me into it. And we went and it was in uh, 2010, I think. And the evaluator was George Leoniak and Adrian Lowe from South Africa. And all of a sudden, I had found the key for me in my life. I had found... Uh, someone who could point out tracks and tell me why this is a red squirrel versus a gray squirrel, exactly why. And, and they could, um, and, and my tracking doors just blew back open at which point I, I became obsessed again, right? Not with hog hunting this time, but with, with tracking. And, and I spent a lot of time out, you know, like on a, um, on an ice covered Lake when there's, this much snow on top of it, uh, anything that walks across that leaves very clear prints and lots of them. And so my buddy Abel, I, we'd get out on this and, and, and Tim would get out on his lakes and, and, you know, mark in the snow. Okay. We think this is a front and this is a hind and this is a, and we just spent hours and hours and hours and days and months doing this, figuring out, learning gates, learning to be able to recognize a, a trotting gait or a loping or galloping gait at a glance and, um, you know, sort of burning those patterned images into our consciousness. Um, yeah. And, and, and actually after that first eval that I took with George and Adrian, I, I remember thinking, I want to do what he does. That's what I want to do. You know, he, he had affected me so deeply and helped helped grow my understanding so much in two days that I just, I wanted to have that effect in the world. I wanted to be able to gift that to others, you know, and, uh, and really I was going after a specialist certificate in track and sign, not with the, at that point, not with the intent of be, being an evaluator, actually, I just wanted to get that certificate. And I, and I, and I saw, I took a couple of evals in my score you know, because of all this intensive study, my first eval compared to my next, you know, I think I got a 71 or a 73 or 71 on my first eval, a level one certificate. And then on my second eval, I got like a 95 or something, you know, um, my learning curve had just climbed up. And, and <clears throat> I think that's partially because of, because of back my, my hunting and my natural background that, yeah, I sort of had a leg up um, as far as. Uh, I had a very similar experience. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, cool. And yeah, and then I and and then I I just sort of started seeking out evaluations and evaluators, and I and I bumped into Mark Elbrock, 
and I found out that he was uh, running a mountain lion project. And, um, and I said, Hey, I, I want to come work for you, you know? And he hired me. And, and so I, I went out to Colorado and I, um, I lived with him and Casey McFarland and uh, Neil White. And, you know, and we hunted mountain lions and um, put GPS collars on them. And uh, so I got to help it, help out and doing some really cool work, kill site research, right? So I'd hike into kill sites, uh, GPS clusters, and uh, and record all the tracks and signs of any other species that were, you know, coming and going from that kill. All this cool stuff. And uh, yeah, and then after after living with them for quite a while i i went and took another specialist email and i got i got a special certificate and then i i two weeks later i went to another part of the country and got a second specialist certificate so i got two in like two weeks and um yeah and that's when mark approached me and said hey uh i want you to think about becoming an evaluator and so that sort of started that whole process of, of my training i don't come from a teaching background so i i didn't feel ready at the time to to be an evaluator the evaluators are all quite masterful instructors you know they're, they're good teachers yeah. and, and i didn't have that baseline um so what i started doing is just going and volunteering with the different evaluators um, all over the place and i i think i volunteered at like 15 evals or something before i kind of felt like i maybe was ready to to run my own and and then I did. And, and uh, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. It, we could talk for hours just about all the tangents of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a lot in there. And um, well, what one of my first thoughts is, man, I joined the wrong YMCA as a kid. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted the version you got. No, I'm not running them down, but uh, that's incredible. And yeah, what a gift your parents did, mm. whether they do it or not. But, um, you know, it's interesting. And maybe at some point I'd do a, a series on this, but so many people have, you know, it's never exactly the same, but who really get into this have some sort of background like that, you know, something formational when they were young, you know, parents did, or and it may not be in tracking, but there's, there's some sort of usually natural history component that kind of got the bug in them. And, um, you know, it's just amazing. And, 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 you know, full credit to you of doing all that work. And, you know, again, I, I know, you know, what that's about. Um, yeah. And, you know, the path you have to travel to get there. And, you know, it's obviously kind of a shame that we're losing this in our culture, you know, and the way kids are growing up now. But, you know, there's always still a few out there. And so, yeah, what an amazing story. Um, and, you know, just how you got to where you are. So the, the next question I guess I have for you is, you know, you obviously just enjoy this. You love it. But for someone else, maybe doesn't know much about it or, you know, just thinking about getting into it. Why do you think tracking is an important skill? And and beyond that, because what I've seen is that people who start doing it and, and maybe they are learning for work or, you know, field biologists, what have you. But it also ends up being almost like an addiction or can be in a good way. You know, it, it's fun and maybe fun's the wrong word, but it's it's just something that resonates. And you know, what, why do you think that is? And, and, you know, just the overall value. Great. 
Yeah. So, so um, my simple answer and, and, and there's layers to this, I think, but my simple answer is that, that tracking on some level is fundamental to being human. I, I, I don't see that, that being human and being a tracker necessarily can be separate. Uh, I, I, I think that that can, there's, there's multiple levels of that, like I say, but if, if, if you think about um, going online and, and looking for a book, right? We have these tools like Google or whatever that, that, um, that we can use to help us hunt something down, to, to find something that we're after. Uh, you know, children love an Easter egg hunt. Um, people in our culture love to go shopping. Right. We're 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 seeking something out to to serve a need. And I think partly it's it's important because we're getting that need met, you know, whether it's uh, hunting for meat for our children or an Easter egg or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, we're satisfying this need. But but to me, there's a connection there that that. When I'm out on the trail of an animal, um, whether or not I have the intent of, of taking its life, um, and, and I know that we're not talking about hunting here, but, but tracking and hunting and humanness are, are all connected to me. But if I'm, if I'm hunting this animal down, say it's a bear and I want to get a picture of it, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the activity that my ancestors have done for for what hundreds of thousands of years, right? I, I'm, I'm seeking to find this creature on, on its terms, on equal terms in the woods. And I'm using whatever skills I can, uh, be it my, my smell, you know, my sense of smell, my hearing, I might hear some brush crack ahead, uh, or, or my ability to recognize signs and symbols on the landscape that can help steer me, you know, this feedback from the landscape that's steering me towards this animal. So there's two parts to what I say in there. And I just, I want to summarize. One is, yeah, I'm, I'm meeting some need in the now. And another is I'm connecting to the means and ends of humanness on some level, the, 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 the animal humanness of, of who we are. We forget in, in our, in our lives these days, we're animals too, right? We, we're we're um, just like a, a red squirrel. I have five digits on my hand, um, and uh, and I and I take nutrient in and I defecate, just like all the rest of the animals out here on the landscape. So, to me, just just on a um, sort of a quote unquote spiritual sense, it's just connecting to who we are. Uh, um. Yeah, it's in our DNA, isn't it? I, I like I, to tell my students that. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. It, it as well, like the the fun aspect that you mentioned, the the detective. To me, it's it's detective work, right? It's investigative. It's uh, um, it cultivates curiosity and and an interest and and a deeper view into your surroundings. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun for me you know, getting on the trail of an animal, it, it, it's, 
not to get all all uh, spiritual, but but I feel a connection. I feel a draw. Sometimes I feel drawn down a trail that by something greater than myself, you know, and, and uh, uh, maybe I, I'm reading into that or something, and maybe that's just my own excitement, but it doesn't really matter to me. Right. It's, 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 I'm still experiencing this, this feeling that, that quite probably my ancestors all felt um, in their, in their lives. It, you remind me of a program I ran in Belize, a Belizean forest ranger in broken English, you know, was saying he actually said this on camera he said it's like i'm touching the animal you know it's like when i go through his tracks you know and passing through and so it, mm. it is in a way I, I like the way that you described that it's it's really true and so there's a lot of people who feel that way mm. i i love his perspective and uh yeah to, to me it's i, I i'm gonna um just say that that my views tend towards the hippie a little bit all right and uh and and folks listening uh gonna have to deal with that so to me it's it's kind of all about relationship mm. uh, i have relationship with the land that i live on right i i um if you're if you're hunting and gathering or just gathering you're literally taking the the nutrient or, or or farming right you're you're taking the nutrient of the land and 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 turning it into human flesh and um that can be done in in multiple ways right one way is to to extract oil from the earth and make phos uh, um make a fertilizer you know oil-based fertilizer and and turn that into human flesh another is to to do it like like people have been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years and and um, and have that direct relationship with place. So yeah, your friend in Belize, when I'm trailing an animal, I, I literally feel like I'm in direct relationship. It's it's a direct connection somehow. And sometimes, like 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 my working out a trail, I'm I'm that animal's behavior is influencing my life, and and oftentimes. I'll spook that animal and it'll run off and I'm influencing its life. And we're, we're, um, we're interacting literally in, in, in the way that I see the world. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a beautiful way of stating that. And I, I mentioned this sometimes, uh, I think I have in a couple other podcasts, but if you ever heard the story of Klaus Zuberbuehler, who's a anthropologist and spent years in the ivory coast and uh, don't want to run this, give the story away, but was listening interpreting these monkey calls and leopard calls and then he has this epiphany moment when he starts to understand and you know having this relationship and he realizes he's part of the story right always has been part of the story <laughs> and there's a very like key moment crescendo where he realizes that something happens but yeah you know in that sense uh we're all hippies right i mean because we all you know are dependent on this stuff even if you're several levels removed uh, it all goes back to that. We all need sustenance and, you know, it all starts there. Um, what, let me ask you this, Matt. Um, I, I think that was a beautiful way of phrasing, you know, what tracking does for people on a personal level. And, you know, and it's, it's just fascinating. You learn so much out there. 
what about, you know, if you're a scientist, let's say a biologist, you don't know much. Um, and you obviously, you know, you worked on a cougar, you know, project and what, what does it do from that perspective, you know, on a real practical level where, you know, we're trying to, you know, help save an animal or, you know, find out more about it, you know, to protect certain valuable landscapes, et cetera. How does tracking come into play there? Yeah, good question. So I, I would start, you know, I'm, I'm in San Diego right now and I'm working with the uh, San Diego tracking team. And they're a 20-year-old nonprofit, and they do tracking transects all around the county down here. And um, they're, they're recording data. And this data can be uh, complementary to hard science, right? So, so these people can bring their data to the scientists that are studying wildlife here, and they can say, hey, look, we're seeing bobcats are using this corridor often, right? And so... Um, so Bobcat can get from Habitat A through this housing complex over to Habitat B based on this corridor of land. And we need to preserve that so that the genetic diversity doesn't get shut off there, right? So just based on a, on a purely simple practical level, and, and if we think of a permeability of landscape or connectivity of wild spaces, uh, wildlife tracking is immensely important. now. Camera trapping also um, can give you a lot of good information. Um, uh, GPS collars, for instance, can show you where mountain lions are crossing highways, et cetera. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I was part of this Cougar project up in the North Bay for a while. <clears throat> and, and their model was it, it, they had these maps in the computer and they, and they did this random sampling and the computer told them where to put cameras all over the landscape, right? In these random places. And I looked at some of these camera sites and I thought, you're never gonna get a picture of an animal here. This is ridiculous, right? So, so a tracker could come in with focused um, intention and, and find where to place these cameras. So you're gonna get a high likelihood of success and, you know, I've helped some folks do that. And many folks are super adept at doing that themselves, but that's where tracking comes in. You mentioned working with um, college students and, and Lee, I, I applaud that because kids coming out of college in, in um, some wildlife programs come out of college clueless about wildlife on some level. It's unbelievable to me. And uh, they're, they're really cool with the cool statistical programs. And they've got the computer, um, you know, GIS mapping and modeling um, system stuff down. But you take them out in the woods and um, they have no background. So we, we joke about. In the yeah, old that's days. why my professor brought me in. She was like, just saw a dearth of these skills. And it was like horrifying her. Awesome. I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. That's what we need more of. And in fact, I'm trying to steer um, evaluations towards wildlife students. And I've, I've had some success, but you know how it is. Uh, colleges don't want to kick any money out towards that. Yeah. And unless unless it's credited, yeah. 
the kids have no well, motivation. We, we should talk more offline because I'm working okay, in that right. direction as well. And I think there's okay. some headway being made, but I totally agreement with you 100%. And, you know, it's backed up by each semester. I, it's part of their final project. They have to say, you know, what'd you learn? How's this valuable? And I mean, the testimonies are incredible. You know, about, oh, this summer I was interning at, you know, this national park and I was able to recognize this sign. And, you know, even if they're just leading tourists or something, but a lot of them are game wardens, you know, forensic scientists, like, hey, I was able to, you know, bust this person for poaching or, you know, so, I mean, it, it truly is a valuable skill. And I, I think you summed that up perfectly. And, you know, even with the GPS collar, yeah, you may know where it goes, but when it stopped here or whatever, you don't know for sure what it was doing. You know, right. and tracking answers a lot of those questions, right? As you well know. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, a GPS caller can't tell you necessarily about uh, uh, someone's motivation, like a yeah. cat's motivation, right. or for, for why it did a straight beeline 10 miles through really good deer habitat to make a kill over here, right? Why? Why didn't it kill any of these deer along the way? But it was, it, you know, we could see that this thing went straight 10 miles, made a kill. And um, we don't know anything about the whys of that. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And that that's a good illustration of obviously technology is not going away. It can be very useful. They go hand in hand. It's not necessarily, you know, one or the other. Right. I mean, even if we do in some cases like to, you know, harken back to an earlier time, you know, that that's not going to happen. And so um, but you know, they can still be very valuable. Oh, I do see this cat. Well, let's pick up its trail, you know, and find out what it was doing. You know, why did it do that? Right. Right. So uh, uh, a little story I'll share just from a couple of days ago about just, just that. I was um, scouting for a tracking class down here in San Diego County at the, uh, the Santa Isabel Na nature preserve up here. And the, the the ranger uh, his name was Doug he he took me out and was showing me some cool places where where I might find some tracks or whatever and it's largely sort of um, you know it's a, like between four and five thousand feet elevation and it's sort of rolling oaks and and it's pretty hot and dry in the summertime but there's these and it's grassy you know th there's these corridors of of trees where there, wherever there's water. And so he goes, well, let's hike over to that creek over there and I'll show you there's some sand. You know, you might see some footprints there that you could use in your workshop. And, and we went over there and immediately we spotted the trail of a, of a big male uh, mountain lion running. And <clears throat> so that, that may or may not mean anything to, to somebody, but, but the first thing that I thought of was, Hey, this cat might be running from us. Yeah. Right. Because I've kicked up lots of animals. And, and when I when I'm in the woods and I notice an animal's gait change, right? A mountain lion doesn't run unless it's it's running from something or it's chasing something. They they don't just run across the landscape. They they sneak at a at a baseline walk, really. And that's how they move. And so whenever I see tracks of a lion, for instance, in a in a running gait. I immediately go, okay, something's happening. Um, <clears throat> Doug and I got to got to looking around the, the ranger, and we found where the cat had come walking up the ditch, and 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 we were coming uh, perpendicular towards the ditch, right? And so the cat 
climbed up on the bank and, and looked directly at from where we were coming and then bounded off. And, you know, there, there's, there's ways, there's things that you look for, right? If this cat was, was running to chase a deer, for instance, it's, toes would be dug in deep and the claws would show. And, and while this cat was running, it wasn't digging real hard. It was just getting out of there quietly. So um, right off the bat, we were able to say, Hey, we just bumped into a mountain lion. We didn't see it, but we just pushed this thing out of here, you know? And so we followed him down, down the Creek a ways. And, and he, he ran for a little ways, you know, and, uh, and then went back into a sneaky um, posture or whatever. Anyway, um, from a practical sense, as a, as a mountain lion researcher, that's a lot of information, right? I know this cat's a male. Yeah. Um, we know that it's right here. We know this is fresh, et cetera, and so forth. And, and so much, um, quote, unquote, scientific information can be gleaned that way, just from a familiarity with tracks and sign and patterns on the landscape. That's all. You know, you just... Um... We were talking about gates there, which is very interesting. And, and again, I think one of the things with tracking is that people are new to it. They just think of it in terms of identification, you know, species. Um, and, and when I'm teaching bird language, kind of similar thing. People have done birding before, you know, they, they're, I'm not saying it's bad, but they're oriented more towards that, you know, or a specific, you know, behavior, that individual bird. But really with, you know, tracking, it, it's so much more than that. And, you know, gates tell you exactly, I mean, you just beautifully illustrated, you know, about what an animal could be doing and, you know, why it's doing that. Um, what about some other aspects of it that, you know, you have to look at when, you know, you're out tracking? So, for example, you know, aging tracks or, you know, sometimes we refer to the, the five W's, you know, the what, why, where, you know, when, who, obviously. Um, can, can you just talk about a little bit some of the other aspects that you learn or or you want to tune into when you are tracking that you're trying to, uh, as you said, glean from the situation? You bet. Yeah. I like the the questions, you know, the the you called them the other day, the five W's, the um, who, what, when, where, why. And um yeah. Oh, let me just step back for a sec on, the, sure. on this and make a, a sort of a metaphor, a parallel. So many folks have heard um, tracking used as, as language, right? Learning to track is like learning a language. And, and um, for those who have heard that, sorry, but if you haven't heard that, I, I like the metaphor because to me, to me, it is a language. Um, when when I'm learning the alphabet, when I'm learning to sound words out and piece them together, I'm slow, I'm deliberate, and I go, okay, this word is canyon, canyon, right? And I and I'm, I'm sounding things out, and I'm I'm sort of it's slow and and painstaking. Now, fast forward 15 years, and I read the word canyon, and it and it means something to me without having to hardly even look at that. So my, my fluency has come up and I, I now can read whole sentences um, easily and, and, and have a, an understanding of, of what was of the information that was 
given to me. So tracking is similar, right? It's, you know, it's, it's, we're learning the alphabet. We're learning the basics, you know, A, B, C, D. This is a, this is a hoofed track. This is a, a fresh track. This is an old track. This is a, you know, a, a soft padded foot. Um, and, and, and I know you're going to ask, I know that you're going to ask about learning tracking, but this is a part of that. So uh, when we're learning language, we stumble and stammer and we piece things together. And, and when we're learning tracking, we, we stumble and stammer and we try to piece things together, these stories. Now, this is literally the, the story of this animal's life written on the tapestry of the land, the, 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 um, you know, the substrate, right? Substrate could be paper that you're writing on, or it could be the dirt that you're trailing a deer in. So, um, Lee, help steer me back to your question again now. No, you're actually covering it just perfectly. That Just the different aspects about, you know, there's the five W questions, but, you know, you're not just who, you know, it's, and I love this, by the way, at language, just interject here, because I use that with bird language, you know, obviously the nature of, but it's almost like a, a foreign language that someone was speaking in your house and you never learned, paid attention to. And, you know, like if you had a, a foreign family that was with you and then you learned it in say college or whatever, you went back and then all of a sudden they're telling you, Hey, you know, uh mailman came by, dropped a package off, uh, you know, uh, your brother tried to steal your allowance yesterday, you know, someone tried to break in the door, you know, you're just missing all this stuff. And so I, I love the way you say that because tracking is like that. It, it really is a language. It's a story. And, and so, yeah, I, I guess the original question was, you know, these different aspects of, you know, it's not just identification, but you're, you want to know, for example, aging, when was this animal there? Right. And, you know, what was it doing? What, you know, and, and you've already kind of touched on these, but, um, it just seems, you know, to me, obviously I'm out there. There's so many different aspects, you know, of it than just saying, oh, this is a mountain lion track, you know, front, right. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the five W's, the who, when, where, why. So when we're learning the alphabet, we're learning the who, um, you know, we're learning to identify these patterns. It's like seeing a, a, a McDonald's emblem. You don't have to think about what that means. It just, it's a symbol and you know what it means. If you're hungry and you see that, your, your body might have a, a literal physiological response to seeing that symbol. And um, so so learning to recognize these sim symbols is, is really a, a simplification of just learning track and sign identification. Now, the, I, the questions that I really like are the... Um, the what and why question yeah because to me the, that's that's more of a verb than a noun answer right so it's 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 looking for a, more of a living answer than a than a static that's this. that's the meaning that's to me the contextualization exactly you know, it's significant yeah. yeah yeah it's story right yeah and and humans work in story that's how we pass information along it's how we um you know what we're doing here right now we're both just telling stories and uh to be able to 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 you know my friends and i we, we joke around about tracking at a glance because so many um 
so much of what I've done in the past has been to stare at a track and pick apart all the details and go, oh, look at this claw mark and this this metacarpal pad mark, you know. And um, uh, I like to, so I would consider myself more of a practical tracker than an academic tracker. Um, and and neither is good or bad. Uh, it's just, that's just my style more. So I like to see things and recognize them at a glance and move on. Like um, I like to move down a trail and follow, follow an animal. And I like to recognize things that I'm seeing along that trail. Um, yeah. So the what's and the why's, those are great questions that, that lead us to actual interpretations of how these animals live on the land. How is it that this black bear can survive out here? What in the world is it eating, right? Well, there's one way to find out, and that's to follow them. Go follow them. And you'll start to recognize, you'll start to say, hey, look, these plants have all been bit off right here, right by these black bear tracks. Or, hey, look, this yellow jacket nest has been dug up and eaten. Um, oh, hey, so so from my experience, I'm learning about the natural history of the bear from seeing these signs that are left behind. So yes, it's literally reading a story and um, what, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Go ahead. No, no. If somebody is, you know, again, starting the journey, starting learning, can you talk about um, the different types of tracking? And what I mean by that is, you know, depending on where you are, you know, your location, you know, the habitat, ecology, but also, you know, time of year, right? Uh, weather, and of course, you know, the substrate, you know, if you're trying to track in hard pan, you know, or, you know, versus a, a fresh snowfall, that, that's very different, right? So th there's really different buckets. Is, is that, that how, how do you kind of, you know, again, someone new to it, how would you explain that to people? Or Yeah, yeah, good, good. This is, again, sort of a layered question. Um, yes, we can separate these things out in their separate buckets. And that's a great way to learn. And, and it's a great doorway. And sometimes you might only have the, the space or the, the ability to, to work on one of these buckets at a time. And that's great. I encourage that. Um, uh, yeah. So and, and to take it to another level or layer, they're all related. The, the way that weather works on a track, the way that that um, a tree that fell over 100 years ago and left a, a hump of dirt, um, it, that's a track. You know, that's a that's a story. Um, in some cases, you can you can see that that the, out in the upper Midwest where there's these big thunderstorms, you can see that this huge gust of wind came through and blew down, blew down a whole forest. And now it's all regrown, but you can still see how all these little mounds of dirt and trenches are, are in an alignment. So all the trees tipped in the same way. So you can, on some level, look back at a, a, a weather event. Mm. Uh, and so, and that's a super deep layer, right? That might be 50 years ago, but, um, but it's a layer that, that, affects what we're what we're seeing right now today and affects the movement of the animals around these humps of dirt or whatever um yeah so we 
we say tracking, and that's a great word. Um, and we we separate tracking out as far as wildlife tracking into two categories in the in, in, through the cyber tracker tradition. Anyway, one we call track and sign identification, which is just learning who's who and what's what. Hey, this is a pileated woodpecker sign on a tree, and this is how you identify it. Okay, now when I see that anywhere in North America. I can say, oh, hey, a pileated woodpecker lives here. Um, the, the other avenue, the, um, that's A. And so B would be what we call trailing. And you've mentioned that before. And trailing is literally finding a fresh track. Um, of course, you could trail an old trail too, but, but I recommend people find a fresh track and follow the tracks and signs on the landscape to try to see the animal, to find the animal. And it, it's... It's a lot of fun um, just for on a personal note for me, interacting with large wildlife on the landscape is one of my great joys in life. It's it's when I'm fully present, fully alive, when I'm, um, you know, 30 feet from a big boar hog that doesn't know that I'm there. I It's it's a powerful experience. Um, uh, yeah. So if, if if I'm gonna follow this animal, the things that you mentioned are important to, to know about. Like if, if it rained yesterday and I can see that this track has not been rained in, that, that gives me a lot of information towards, towards knowing when this animal passed by here. And, and if there's any hope for me to try to catch up to it, uh, aging, aging is, is a, an aspect of that, what we call aging sign. And, and I'll just say this, it's a lifelong study. Um, it's 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 always a refinement. And and native people who hunt and track every day, um, who who still track every day, like the San people, they they're constantly talking and they're constantly adjusting and they're they're disagreeing and they're saying no no I think it's this and and the other guy's saying no no I think it's that and um, and I chuckle about that because when my buddy Preston or Tim and I are out or Abel are out in the woods and we're, we're following an animal, we're constantly um, quote unquote arguing about what's happening. Hey, I think this, this animal is heading to a feeding area. No, no, it's heading to a bed. Well, let's find out. Right. <laughs> and so yeah, we, I, I love it. I've been on evaluations where that happens and they start arguing the evaluator. So it's, it's, it's awesome. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's iterative. That's how you get better. It's how you learn more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it reminds me of, of of a mountain lion and a, and a deer, the relationship that they have, right? So the deer has to be faster than that mountain lion, has to see it coming, has to smell it, has to. Has, has to. Um, its life and the life of its children depend on it. The mountain lion has to outrun that deer, has to catch it, has to, to feed its children, right? So it's life or death for both of them. And, and the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Darwinian, the evolutionary sort of natural selection model of the survival of the fittest is, is kind of neat. It's, it tells a lot about how the mountain lion is continually 
shaping the deer. The deer are always getting better. They're always getting faster, smarter, better. The mountain lion, the deer is continually shaping the lion. It, um, the, the, the lion has to be sneakier, has to come from downwind more, has to be faster, whatever. So they're, they're constantly refining each other. And it's the same for us in our, in our practice of tracking. And when we're out with, with each other and we're arguing about a track, um, we're, we're, we're refining, you know, we're, we're, um, we're making ourselves better. We're, um, we're learning together. And, and if, if we have some humility around it and, and keep our egos out of it and just stay open to what we see and not get too locked up here. Right. Um, it'll work itself out and we'll learn and grow. Yeah. You know, that's, um, you know, competitors and true competitors, like in sports, will say that, you know, someone else, it's really seems like, Oh, they made me better at what I do, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I love hearing that the way you phrase that. And I was thinking too, you know, in terms of, you know, trying to figure all this stuff out, not that you ever figure it all out, but you really have to do it in, different conditions, you know, different times of years to really understand the animal because they do different things, different times of years. Or and a couple of years ago, we had a, you know, which we almost never get down here, you know, blizzard, like one in a hundred years. And we had a deep freeze. I mean, it was like Wisconsin weather down here for about 10 days, you know, close to zero at night. And anyway, it snowed twice, pretty good snows. And man, I was out tracking and, you know, I've, felt like, well, I know the area and, you know, a lot of animals. I was just blown away by how many animals were out there. And, and I knew the species. I mean, it wasn't surprising, but just the number of tracks and trails and, you know, so it was, it was a real eye opener. And it's like, well, just because you've been doing it in one spot, you know, and one time a year or whatever, it, you know, if you get different conditions, man, you can learn so many things that you, you didn't know, you know, and I, I saw these like coyote trails and I started trying to interpret what they were doing you know and then I could tell one was courting a female and you know lying down the tail swoosh you know all this stuff right and, and so and that that kind of segues into another thing which you know maybe people are listening or gonna think this how do you advise someone again that's new to this it, it's fantastic like you said it's a lifelong pursuit but it's easy to get overwhelmed right given you know just the number of species but then you know, difficult level. Again, my students will say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling some of the quizzes. I can't recognize the tracks, you know, not to mention all these other aspects of it that you've really done, you know, good job of outlining for people. You have any advice on that? And, and then along with that, you don't want to get overwhelmed, but what are the keys to becoming proficient? So you, you do become better. Great. Yeah, good questions. Um, so, <clears throat> Just sort of to stick with my my um, <laughs> my pattern of of using metaphor, I'll, I'll say that if you want to learn the guitar, um, you're going to start practicing. And if you start practicing ten minutes a day, you're 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 going to learn, and you're going to advance, and your fingers will start to get less clunky, and 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 um, you'll make progress. And if you, I, I knew a guy who all through high school in his summers, he would play the guitar for 10 hours a day, every day, the whole summer. 
And the guy's, uh, you know, obviously a master, masterful musician at this point. So to some, on, on some level, it's as simple as um, the, the, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? The, the more, uh, the more time you put into something, the better you're going to get at it. Now, not everyone can drop everything in life and go out and just train tracking all the time. And, and many people uh, wouldn't want to do that. So it, it, it really varies from lifestyle to lifestyle. If you live in the middle of, of um, Los Angeles, it's going to be more difficult for you to learn tracking. Although there are some really cool online uh, workshops, including I saw your, yours. You, I haven't seen your material, but I, I see that you're doing some online stuff. There's another guy down here uh, in the Southwest doing the same thing, um, Bob. And th that's a great way to learn. And actually, I've been evaluating some of Bob's students, and they're pretty good. They, they, they come out of this online training, and they are pretty darn good out in the field. It's amazing. Um, it, it works. So there's many ways to do it. Some folks... Um, measure, you know, okay, this bird track is an inch and five sixteenths and, 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 and the, you know, and that's how they learn and they, uh, and, and that's great. Um, you know, there's teachers who say to do it that way. There's teachers who say, oh, never, never measure anything. You know, uh, I, I'm not a measuring type. I see a, a Robin track and I go, oh, that's about the size of a Robin track. Right. I don't, um, I have an eye for size on the ground and in the woods and stuff and um, whatever way works for you, whatever combination of ways. Um, I, and I will say uh, when you're learning, it's great to find a teacher. It's great to find someone who can just help for one thing, show you what's really possible. There's a lot of myths out there in the tracking world. And I like to try to dispel some of those, right? Tracking. Um, let's, let's take the, the mystical out of it. Let's let's just think of it as as purely mechanical. You know, you you see a you see a deer track, and then you see the next deer track, and you see the next deer track, and then you move on, and you see the next deer track, and and it's sort of a mechanical process, right? It can be like that. Um, uh, and with fluency, you you might see some deer tracks and just have a, a, a internal gut feeling that hey, the deer's probably hidden over there, and go over there and find out. So. There's a lot of variance there, but um, I, I like that a lot. Just interject because I enforce in my class at university students. It's a very rigorous thing, and I'm I, I don't do a whole lot about size either because I want them on morphology, you know, to get that pattern recognition, you know. But then I go through an exercise every module, and it's like, okay, you know, I want you to analyze this and do. And you're familiar with this course, but primary and secondary perception. What do you see? Describe it. You know, shape. You know, what's yeah. their toes? Are there nails there? You know, spacing, negative space, all these things, right? You know, shape of the pad, et cetera. And then after you get all that, you know, then use your intuitive faculties or our own built-in AI, which is really silly because we all have AI, <laughs> if you want to call it that, you know, it's like, okay, well, what does that look like? You know, and, and you know, based on, well, you know, it has four toes, what has four toes, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, has nails, no nails, whatever. And so I, I love that approach because I think that's a really good, like you said, some people are just naturally intuitive or more so, but that's always a great default to go back to, you know, and, and then if you get the fluency, you know, and you just know what a coyote track is, you go, yeah, I know it's coyote track, <laughs> you know, um, but for most people that takes a while to get to that, that level. 
You bet. And, and learning the, the morphology is a great way to get there. You bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what do you, how would you tell people, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, not getting overwhelmed and I'm just reminded of uh, the slogan, which is very apt. I think in this particular case, I think a coach said this, but you know, they were asking, you know, how do you keep going or, you know, you don't get overwhelmed or whatever. And I think this absolutely applies to tracking. It's like he said, it's not about the capture. It's about the chase, hmm. you know? And, and I think in tracking, same thing. It's not about, you know, or if you in an eval or something, whether you got right or wrong or missed it, it's about, you know, what did you learn that day? You know, hmm. did you process as much as you could and put it in, you know, and now you're better than you were beforehand. And, that to, to me, that's a good motivator to do your whatever 10 minutes a day or whatever you can do, you know, once a week or whatever, you know, so that you don't kind of go, oh, I'll never get this kind of thing. And, you know, we've all, at least I've had that. And I'm sure you probably went through some stages like that at some point, you know, frustration. But um, yeah. I, I like the way that you verse that about just, you know, regularly getting out there. A, a regular practice is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It, I would highly recommend it. Find a teacher, if you can, go take a, a um, do a little research and go take a, a workshop. It's great to see what's possible. It's great to know what's um, um, realistic. Um, one of the best things that I could recommend, I think, right off the bat, is to is to keep a curious mind, keep an open mind. Um, Part of learning tracking is is a personal process as well. We learn how we perceive the world. We learn about how we figure things out and and about our own internal dialogue. And um, I one thing I see people do is they get hung up on something, and then and then they're stuck. No, I think this is what it is, and 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 they literally can stop seeing evidence. They they can get stuck in their own emotional, interpersonal, emotional life, you know, be it trauma, memory, whatever, and, and get stuck. And then all of a sudden are not able to see anymore. Um, they're not able to take in any more information. And <clears throat> I really try to encourage people to keep an openness, um, learn to, to say, Hey, I don't know. I don't know. I, this is what I'm seeing. And I can't figure it out right now with the book that I have or with, with the tools in my toolbox. Um, but I recognize this, I see it, I look at it, I, I'm, I'm curious about it. And then I, the next time I see it, maybe there will be more, or maybe I'll be in a conversation with somebody talking about some animal and I'll say, Hey, that's sounds like what I saw that time, you know? And so, so asking these questions, staying open and just not being too hard on ourselves. Just um, that that's what I would recommend for folks. Uh, that's happened to me several times learning. on evaluations. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, getting fixated on something, and it just becomes like a mental block, you know, and you have to force yourself, step back, and it can be really challenging to do that. Um, it's, it's funny how the human brain works in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You 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 mentioned the evals se several times, and I don't know if if listeners. No, actually, could you go into that? You know, talk about 
or both, you know, in your case, you know, taking a workshop from you or evaluation. And can you speak to how that works? And also just the, the learning value that you can get out of that in addition to certification level? Yes. Yeah, you bet. So the organization that I work work with is called um, CyberTracker. And um, it's it's sort of a, on some level, it's sort of a marriage of ancient and modern, right? It's it's um, the, the founder of the outfit from South Africa, Louis Lieberberg. He created this, this um, software that could go into a handheld device and it's all icon driven so that that illiterate people can gather data. You know, people who are masterful in the landscape and, and have long running relationships with the wildlife and the land can actually uh, gather data and, and um, contribute to science. And in that way, maintain a, a traditional life way and yet make a living in our modern world. So, so what happened was Louis, Louis showed up with, with some of the software and people say, Hey, I'm a tracker, right? Pay me. And um, so Louis had to design and develop this system of evaluating people's tracking skill. And um, the idea being, he takes a group of people out in the woods and he'll, he'll, he'll show them tracks inside. He'll, he'll, he'll circle a kudu track in the, in the sand and, and ask each person, what is this? And some of them will come up and say, ah, it's a, you know, it's a hippo or some might say it's a lion or, and some will say it's a kudu. And so um, this system of, of evaluating or assessing someone's skill level, you know, we, we, it, it winds up being sort of a test. You're being tested. We're, we're testing your literacy, your tracking literacy. Um, so the, the way that that happens is, is uh, like, like me as an evaluator in North America, I'll take a group of people and I'll circle a track in the sand and I'll say, who, you know, who, whose track was this? And it, it, say it's a raccoon. Um, each person will give me their answer. And some people won't have any idea. They won't have ever seen one. And they'll be, you know, it's pretty hard to, uh, if you don't have a search image already or, or know which animals are on the landscape, it's sometimes really hard to imagine who left this print, especially when you start getting down into small little weird animals, right? <laughs> And um, so we'll, we'll do a string of three or five questions and I'll ask each, each person, you know, what is this? What is this animal doing? Or when did it come by here? Or which food is this? And I like to say that, that for, for those of us who are biologists and working in the field, we, we like to work, we like to train at a higher level than we have to perform at in our jobs. So, so these evaluations can ask a lot of stuff that might, people might say, What's the point? Who cares the difference between a vole and a mouse track, right? Only a, a vole researcher would need to know that. But but what we're learning is that if we take people across the board with a super broad base of knowledge as a starting point, um, that that their literacy goes way up fast. Now, if 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 we're talking about the difference between a, a two tracks that are this big. And we're looking at the morphological features and the and the and the gait patterns of how these animals move. Then, when we start to look at animals the size of a coyote, right? It'll be a whole lot more easy to see this subtle sign, the little differences here and there. So, 
we'll look at a string of tracks and then we'll go back to each track as a group. And I'll say, so what is this? What, what is, you know, whose track is this? And we'll have a discussion about it. And then I'll, I will share with the group what it, what it is that I see and why this is a raccoon track. And, and we'll, we'll look at all the different morphological features in the track. And uh, we might throw in some, um, well, notice how the animal's moving. You know, a raccoon is the only animal that moves in this particular gate. So just at a glance, seeing the gate, right? So we we have a, it, it winds up being a heck of a, a learning experience in a workshop. And before we walk away from that raccoon track, we all agree that we can see what, what it is that we're talking about. And then we move on and, um, and we do that for two days straight. And it is intensive. Uh, as you know, it's, looking at tracks all day, you know, and, and I remember in the early days when I was being evaluated, I'd, I'd go to bed at night and I'd close my eyes and I would see track images in my mind's eye because I'd been focusing all day on it. Um, so we'll go, we'll do this for two days. I will keep track of what you got right, what you missed. And then I'll crunch it all into some numbers and we certify people at different levels. Um, we have what we call level one, two, three, and four. And um, the scoring system is kind of complex, but but I'll give you a brief a, a brief analogy of how this works. So we we ask three different levels of questions. Uh, levels being you know easy, more difficult to extremely difficult, and and we have a formula for that. So if, if I'm asking the track of a, of a large animal that is clear and that there is no other species in the area that I could ident that I could misidentify it for, then we would call that a one-point question. Now, if I add a bit of obscurity or if maybe the, the rain had beat the definition out of the track or, uh, or the animal had turned and smudged its foot somehow, then that increases the difficulty level to a two-point question. And then, and then you know, if you go into like small animals or more layers of obscurity or other animals that could be confused with, then we bump them up to a three-point question. And I ask a, a percentage. I, I shoot for about 25% one-point questions, about 50% two-point questions, and about 25% three-point questions. And the questions are weighted. So if if a person misses a one point question, like a, a, a you know a clear horse track, uh, which which we would call an easy question, if they miss that, that's hard on your score. Uh, you'll get three points against you, and if you get it right, you only get one point towards you. And and as we get to the other end of that that spectrum, a three point question, if you miss it you only get one point against your score. And if you get it right, you get three points towards your score, like a difficult track. So the way this algorithm, so to speak, works is, is that the questions are weighted and you can miss more hard questions and still do pretty well. You know, you start missing an, a, a higher number of easy questions and that can really hurt your, your score. But it gives us an accurate cross-section of a person's knowledge of wildlife tracking where um it's it's a rigorous enough system that 
we can take luck out of the mix and we can see what people know. And that's all that we're doing. We're, we're you know, the, the mission of Cyber Tracker originally in my mind is basically to, lo to, to um, locate and recognize um, expertise in the field. We're looking to, to find trackers who, who, who um, can be certified at these levels. Well, what we've found is that the certification process itself creates good trackers. The, the literacy um, increases at a, at, a, at a speed that we don't see in any other um, ways of tracking. And, and we speculate as to why that is. And my hunch is that this, the, the, the bit of pressure, the, um, the performance anxiety, the, the me asking you to come up with a story here, um, somehow helps cement that in people's psyche and it makes it a, a, a potent, memorable process. And it's actually been scientifically studied. Uh, Jonah Evans' wife, CL, did a study where in Texas there where, um, you know, they, they looked at people's tracking ability. Um, they did an evaluation. They looked at their, and then they did three months later, did another evaluation and their scores all significantly climbed. So just being evaluated um, increased these people's tracking literacy. And we're seeing that all over the place. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say it, it's an amazing learning experience. Uh, you spelled that out in a lot greater detail <laughs> than I think could have said, but I completely agree with you. And and then especially once you've done one, if you go back, you, you know what's kind of expected. And so then there's a pressure of, you know, studying and preparing properly. And again, using the language metaphor, it, it's like an immersion class, you know, you're throwing everything at everybody and that's been shown in language. That's by far the best way to learn. Right. And so, yeah, I, I can't highly enough recommend the evals and if you can't do that or, you know, vice versa, a workshop and also just the, the usefulness, you know, I mean, a lot of people do it just for personal enjoyment or hobby, but from a scientific perspective, it's interesting. I, I knew that story as well about Lou Liebenberg. And I remember back in the day I was in a lab and my colleague was programming. It was the Palm Pilots. They had a little GPS thing. And I remember reading the story. This was before I was tracking, other than knowing a few basic tracks, you know, kid growing up. And I remember hearing that, if I recall correctly, they were they were doing it for a scientific reason, get census counts on animals in South Africa. And they were getting this data back that was mostly rubbish. <laughs> They're going in the handhelds. These guys were like, well, you know, it's a kudu track. No, that's a, you know, whatever, a Thompson Gazelle, you know, whatever the case was. And so Mr. Liebenberg had to say, no, no, hold on a second here. And that started the, you know, the, the formal process for training. Anyway, hence the name Cyber Tracker, because a lot of people hear that and they're like, you know, so just to, so people are aware of, there's no computers involved when you get out in the field, right? Uh, so, um, but anyway, well, hey, Matt, this has been awesome, incredible, appreciate the explanation. If people um, are interested and want to find more about CyberTracker, but also yourself, where they can find you, you know, your own workshops, evals, et cetera, how can they do that? You tell them where to go. You bet. So uh, evaluations that I run are are put on on the collective 
tracker certification website, um, which is the, the cyber tracker North America website. And the, and the website is trackercertification.com. I have a personal website or two actually um, that you could reach me through. Uh, one is called wildwisconsin.org. And the other one is called redwoodcoastanimaltracking.com. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that that anybody who's listening to this and uh, and who is struggling along their journey to become a tracker, um, if I can be of service, send me an email. Uh, I'd, I'd be happy. I, I typically respond to emails, and my email is Nelson Matt W at Gmail, and that's N E L S O N M A T T W at gmail.com. Yeah, and I can personally attest, Matt is a great teacher. Um, he's even if you get it totally wrong, he's very patient. He won't make you feel like a moron, <laughs> and he's great at explaining it. Um, yeah, he's just a wonderful teacher. And uh, I know you said earlier you weren't, but I I think you are a really good teacher. And uh, I highly recommend his services and the other cyber tracker evaluators. But if you get a chance, take a workshop or an eval from Matt. Um, you're going to learn so much. So. Hey, listen, thank you very much for your time. I hope we get to do this again because I could talk to you for hours more on a variety of subjects, but really appreciate uh, all your insight. You're welcome. And and thank you as well, Lee. I, I appreciate the opportunity here to, to talk. Yeah.